Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. All right, praise the Lord. Glory to God, I'm going to do my best, all right? Say, come on, Pastor, you can do it. Hallelujah. I tell you, my heart's plowed deep today. My heart's plowed right open. It's, it's, ready. it's ready to receive the seed of God's word. I hope yours is too. So we're going to do something remarkable today. How many have been reading your Bibles and reading in Samuel and Psalms and Kings, a little bit of Chronicles? We're all through that area. One of the biggest characters that we've been dealing with is a guy named... David. So we've been reading all about David. So guess what I'm going to do today? I'm pretty much going to tackle from his birth to his death. Amen. I'm going to take care of David in one morning. Can we do that? I can do it. Come on. So you can do it, Pastor. We're going to have fun. All right. Let me uh, get this up. I'm ready to go. All right. Why is that doing that? Stop that. Oh, I get it. There it is. Okay. Fantastic. All right, number one, Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, it says, but now your kingdom must end for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. That's Samuel talking to Saul. And Saul was broken, Samuel was broken about this because he loved Saul, but you know, Saul just had issues. He had insecurities, personal issues, jealousies, just silly things going on in his life. And, and eventually he just didn't honor the Lord. And the Lord who said that someone in your line, Saul, will always be on the throne. And Samuel, whose words never fell to the ground, Samuel's the one who was heartbroken over that because he had declared to Saul, the Lord has rejected you. And he says, I saw it. The Lord has done it. The Lord himself has sought a man after his own heart. And he says, he's already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you've not kept the Lord's commands. And you know, people shipwreck their ministries all the time by not honoring the anointing in their lives. It's a terrible thing. You know, thank God God loves you, but it's a, it's a terrible thing when you don't honor the call of God in your life, and that's what happened to Saul. It was a sad situation, but God said, I've sought a man after my own heart, and that's who David was, a man after God's own heart. What's interesting about this event was uh, because Saul did not destroy all the Amalekites, he brought King Agag back and all of them. Agag, after Agag, Haman came from Agag, Herod the Great came from Agag. I mean, all these things continued because it was an Amalekite spirit it was that, that spirit of the flesh that always attacks the anointed spirit that was kept alive because Saul didn't I mean God's serious I mean the flesh cannot fulfill my purposes but Saul was a fleshly man and he didn't operate in the spirit and he despised the spirit and he operated in the flesh and God rejected that but he said I've sought a man after my own heart and that was David the interesting thing is they were supposed to give a sacrifice there and so Saul was like okay Samuel so God's rejected me so what look at all the people let's at least have a service Look at all the people. Let's at least have a sacrifice. Let's not send them away all sad. I'm not anointed anymore. I'm not a king. But hey, let's still have the show. That was really weird, wasn't it? How many ministries are there that the anointing has been gone for a long time, but they're still doing the show? You know, it's not by might or by power. It's not hype or all that other nonsense. It's the presence of God's spirit and his anointing. That's important. But Saul, Saul kept on. Even when Saul had been rejected, he stayed king. And it says there was a, a struggle happened between the house of David and the house of Saul, and it lasted a long time. First Samuel 16, 1, Now the Lord said to Samuel, You've mourned long enough for Saul. I've rejected him as king over Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I've selected from him, from one of his sons, to be my king. Psalm 78, 71, 72, He took David from tending the ewes and the lambs and made him the shepherd of 
Jacob's descendants, God's own people, Israel. He cared for them with a true heart. Say true heart. A true heart, and he led them with skillful hands. So it's good to have that true heart, but you've got gifts, you've got talents, you've got abilities, and you should be skillful. You should have a heart after God, but you should also do everything you do with the skills, talents, and abilities that God's given you. It's not enough to say, I love God. What's he put in your life? What are the talents? What are the abilities? What's the purpose of God in your life? Do that. Act skillfully with the gifts and callings that God's placed in your life. Acts 13, 36, all the way over to the New Testament, says this is not a, this is not a reference to David, for after David had done the will of God, in his own generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. So I want you to see there, I mean, in the new covenant, it talks about David. It says, David fulfilled the will of God. He served God's purpose in his generation, and then he died. That's your purpose. What's God's purpose in your life in this generation? David fulfilled the purpose of God in his day and in his generation, and that's our responsibility as well. Number one, you ready? God's looking for something. He's looking for something. He sought someone out, and what was he looking for when he found David? David. We're going to look at that. First, number one, he's looking for a heart for God. Say, number one, he's looking for a heart for God. And that's what he's looking for in you. That's you. You are the king over an inheritance. You are the captain of a destiny and a purpose. And for us to be successful at it and be able to say, I serve God's purpose in my generation, we need a heart after God. Now, when he came to Jesse's house, he had these brothers. Now, I want you to know that when he said, I need to see all your sons, one of them will be king, David wasn't there. And David wasn't there because Jesse really didn't believe David was his son. And in Jewish history, when you, you read about it, uh, Jesse's wife, he was no longer intimate with his wife, and his wife wanted more children, but he was no longer being intimate with her. So she played a prostitute and tricked him, and she, she got pregnant with David. Then when she came home and he sees she's pregnant, she said, who did that to you? And he's like, he's, he's like, you did. He says, I did not. I never did. And he didn't believe that David was his child. And so what do you do with a child you don't believe is yours? You send them out in the field to watch the sheep. Because the job of a shepherd in their culture was unclean. And so he, he didn't like this kid. He didn't like David. And when, when the prophet came and said, there's a child, there's one of your children, one of your sons will be king, they, he didn't even say, bring the kid from the field. He said, leave him there. So the other brothers came, though, and here's the brothers. And they all came before Samuel. And Samuel saw Eliab. He said, this has got to be the guy. Look at him, a strapping young man, good looking. Whoa, this has got to be him. Get the horn out. And the Lord said, it's not him. The Lord said, it's not Eliab. Eliab Eliab's mean, mean, means strong man or human ability. What the Lord's saying is, I'm not going to anoint human ability. I'm not going to anoint. It's not the strong man. It's not by power. It's not by might. It's by the Spirit of God. I'm not looking for human strength to do this thing. And he rejected that. Then you had Abinadab. He said, well, maybe it's Abinadab. Goes to the next one. Abinadab's name means to incite. To incite, or literally the root of that is hype. You know what we don't? We don't need in ministries, we don't need hype. We don't need to incite people. Hype, the root of hype is deception. And we don't need deception. So God rejected that. Then you had Shama. Shama, great name. You named your child Desolation. But Shama means desolation. He said, maybe it's Shama, but Shama means to be wounded. And you know, you can't serve God successfully if you have an open wound in your life. And in the priesthood, you weren't allowed to operate in your office as a priest if you had an unhealed wound. Anywhere in your flesh or anything, you couldn't operate in your office. There's a lot of people nursing wounds and carrying on their wounds. Look at me, I'm hurt, you know. I can't get my life right. I got hurt. Don't do that. You see, God says, I'm going to reject those who, you know, you get wounded, but don't stay wounded. And don't do that, because that's, that's, God can't use people that don't know how to get over their wounds. Then there was Nathaniel. 
Nathaniel means to employ. And God's not looking for employees. God's like, hey, I got a job, 15 bucks an hour, anybody, you know. When God calls you into your destiny, your purpose, it's not because he's hiring you for something. You're not a hireling. You're not an employee. He's not looking for people to do jobs. Can I get an amen? So God rejected that. So then there's the next brother. His name's Radai, but Radai means trampling, subjugate. And what he's saying is they don't need leaders who are going to rule over people. I need leaders who are going to serve. And so he rejected that ruling, autocratic spirit that, I'm the boss, do as you're told. We got enough of that in the church these days already. We don't need that. But you're not going to walk in your destiny. God's not looking for somebody like that to serve the people of God. So then there's Ozem. Ozem means to hasten or to be a driver, driving everybody. Come on. We need volunteers in the nursery. What's wrong with you people? This could be an awesome church if you just show up more, give more, pay attention. Thank you, Pastor. I love coming every week for my weekly beating. You can do better. You can do better. Some people love that. You know, I've, every once in a while I preach a do better sermon and I hate those sermons. And I go, but sometimes God lays on your heart. You got to provoke these folks to good works. I walk out, but I hated that sermon, you know. But some people go, oh, that was good, Pastor Boy. You gave me a licking today and did I ever like it? I said, man, you need prayer. I mean, that, that was awful, you know. But my God. But hey, he found someone after his own heart. Finally he said, you got any more kids? He said, well, I, I think... My wife tells me this one's mine, but go get the kid from the field. So they go get David from the field. And when they got David from the field, they brought him up. Whoop. David. Now, David's name means David. David. And David means beloved or loved of God. Loving is from the root to boil. And David was a lover of God. What is God looking for first and foremost? What is he really looking Before you do a single thing for God, God wants to be intimate with you. He wants to be the lover of your soul. He wants you to know. And everything in you should be saturated with the fact, and that's why we sang today, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Everything you do in your life should flow from the revelation knowledge. You're not just a child of God. You are a beloved child of God. And what's God looking for? He's looking for David. He's looking for people who understand. David raised his son Solomon. Solomon wrote this, I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. And you got to know that, that God is nuts about you. And that's why David wrote, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. His unfailing love pursues me every day. Not just love, but his unfailing love. It'll never stop. There's nothing I can do that can separate me. That's why the apostle Paul said, I want you to get a spirit of revelation and knowledge of what? What does he want us? Paul said, I want you. I want to explode on the inside of you a revelation of what? The height, the depth, the width, the breadth of the love of the Father for you. If you only get one thing straight in any revelation or doctrine about God, get this straight. He absolutely, totally, unconditionally is in love with you. And that's the one thing I tell you. If you don't have that straight, don't try anything. Don't leave home without it. With a revelation, a deep, deep revelation of the love of God for you. Can I get an amen? David said, how precious is your loving kindness. Come on, when did you say that lately? Lord, how precious is your loving kindness. Go ahead, say that. How precious is your loving kindness. Oh, man. Oh, God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust in you. The NLT version says, how precious is your unfailing love. Oh, God. All humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. God so loved the 
world. He's given every single thing. Number two, number two, he's looking for jealousy for his name. He's looking for people who have a passion for the name of God. And I love David because he did. David replied to the Philistine, you came to me with a sword and spear, but I've come to you in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord, David was sent by his father. He said, go up there. Your brothers are all lined up, ready to battle the Philistines. Take a bunch of Domino's pizzas and bribe the captain and get your brothers out of the front line. That's what he did. He said, get them out of there. I want you to go and tell the captain, put my, put my boys in the back row. I don't want them in the front line when they go to meet the Philistines. And that's why David went. So David gets there with a whole bunch of pizzas. And uh, I don't know, it wasn't pizzas. It was some kind of food though, right? But it, it would be pizzas today from Sopranos. So you got the best pizzas. This sermon is brought to you by Sopranos Pizza. So, you know, David brought, these, brought this food, and he's like bribing the cow. But then David's going, hey, who's that guy shouting down there? What's going on? He said, oh, that's the champion of the Philistines. He's, he's down there taunting us, and he's saying, send your champion. Let's not get a big mess here. Let's not all bicker and fight. I'll fight your champion, and whosoever champion wins, that's the end of it. And so David hears that, and David says, what do I get for killing him? Oh, shut up. His brother's like, oh, you stop it. They rebuke him. And then the captain says, who's that? That's our little brother, David. He came with some pizzas. And he said, well, does he want to fight the giant? He says, yeah, bring him over here. Can you imagine? We got a teenage kid comes with some pizzas. He's not even trained, you know, in the army. He doesn't have any armor or anything. And then they take him before the king. And Saul tries to put his armor on him and says, look, this kid will give it a go. Why not? But David says, I can't do this. I'm not familiar with this. But I do have a slingshot. And they're like, imagine, imagine an army that's just, yeah, let the, let the teenager with a slingshot go kill their, I mean, this guy must have been going, like, Goliath like, had to be going, ah, I cannot believe this. I mean, you had all the other soldiers of Israel all standing up, all dressed for battle and nowhere to go. You know, just standing up. And then they're all looking, oh my goodness, we're going to send this kid out there. But David goes down and the Philistine, he's like laughing, I cannot believe this. But David, run at your giant with your mouth full of the word of the Lord. Run at your giant with your mouth full of faith. David ran at the giant. He grabbed five stones out of the stream, out of the brook. Five stands for what? It's a symbol of grace. David said, I'm coming in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he got five stones. He got five stones because I understand that Goliath had four other brothers. So David was thinking, after I kill him, I'm going to take out those guys as well. I don't know. I'm just reading between the lines. But he goes down, he says, you got a javelin, you got a spear, you got your armor. And you know, when you look at his armor, it was, this weighed six, this was six. There's a lot of things in his armor that weighed six. And Goliath, literally, when you take a look at all the stuff he had, it was six, six, six. But David ran at that beast. He ran at the enemy. And he said, you come with your swords, your spears, your javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord, the armies of heaven, I'm going to come. And he says, and the God of the armies of heaven, who you defied. How dare you mock my God? And David's just straight up, I can't believe I showed up today. This is so awesome. You know, I mean, it could have come any other, but today, all these dummies aren't willing to honor the name of the Lord. I can't believe I get to take out this evil thing that's mocking my God. God's looking for people that understand in the name of Jesus, you are more than a conqueror. In the name of Jesus, you are a child of God who's condemned to victory every day, wherever there's a fight. And if you don't have a fight, pick one. 
I don't want to pick a fight with the devil. What do you think go into all the world and preach the gospel is? That's a command to pick a fight. Get out there and tell the good news to everybody. Here's another fight. You got sickness, Matthew, with people's lives. Lay your hand on the sick and they shall recover. You're called to go pick a fight. Ha <laughs> ha, look, whoa, another Goliath to take out. Praise Jesus. Get your slingshot, fill it with the grace of God and let it go. I got to go. I got to go. Jealousy for his name. So important. All right. First Samuel 18, 16. But all of Israel loved, all of Israel and Judah loved David. They all loved David. Why did they love David? All of Israel and Judah loved David. And here's why they loved him. You ready? Here's why they loved him. Because he went out and he came in before them. They loved him because he came in and went in and out. That's it. You have to understand, come in and go out is a technical, it is a theological term. And they loved David because he knew how to come in and he knew how to go out. Numbers 27, 15, let the Lord set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them and bring them in. So there's got to be a leader. Any leader has to be someone who knows how to come in and knows how to go out. It's all over the Bible. You go look at it and you study all the coming in and going out. Just a few. Caleb said, I'm yet as strong as the day I was the day Moses sent me. So now my strength for war, my strength for war, I am ready both for going out and for coming in. It's a technical phrase in the word of God. It's not just something thrown in. It literally, when it shows up, you need to pay attention. Deuteronomy 31, 1 to 2. Then Moses went and spoke these words to all of Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I can no longer go out and come in. He's saying, as your leader, I'm done. I'm going to go off the stage now, and I can no longer come in and go out before you. And so it's, it's all over the place. You see that this phrase is used. Literally, the, the queen of Sheba, when she came and she wanted to test uh, Solomon, she said, this is so amazing about Solomon, because her heart was crushed when she saw how Solomon went in to the presence of God. Solomon knew how to go in, but you know when you go in, you got to come out. But you got to know how to go in and you got to know how to come out. And so he understood that. He knew what that was. So he said, I can no longer come in and go out. It's, it's my time to go. Deuteronomy 28, 6. Blessed be you when you come in, and blessed be you when you go out. Oh, so I'm blessed when I'm in the house, and blessed when I'm out. No, you're blessed when you come in, and you're blessed when you go out. But the going in and the coming out has purpose, and it has definition. John 10, 9. I am the door. If anyone enters me, he will be saved, and he will go out, and he will come in. What's it all about, Pastor? What are you trying to get to? Uh, you, you need to get to this. Coming in is knowing how to worship. Going out is taking the encounter with God and releasing it in your world. And you got to know. See, David knew how to do that. We're going to talk about in a few minutes where he forgot to go out. And you see, if you just do the coming in, it's like the Dead Sea, right? Why is the Dead Sea the Dead Sea? Because all it gets is it only receives. It never puts out. And you know, you can, you can be someone who just says, oh, I just love intimacy with God. You can get in the upper room, get all blasted in the upper room. But you know what? The upper room meant nothing if they didn't spill into the streets. And if they just stayed in the upper room, we wouldn't be here today. But the reason you come in is to go out. And the reason we have intimate encounters with God is so we can get revelation, understanding, and we can understand his mind, his heart, and then we can take his will and his purpose into our world. 
And so you got to know David. You know why we love David? We love David because he knows how to go in. You see him when he worships, there's nobody like David. Remember that time he danced in his underwear? Oh, that was awesome. But David knows how to come in. I'll tell you, if anybody knows how to come in, it's David. Look at him. He's got the heart blasting. Woo! Praise and glory to God. But boy, when he goes out, there's nobody like David. When he goes out, he goes out in power and he goes out in authority. But boy, does he come in. And because he comes in, boy, can he go out. You know what? You got to have both of those things working. And they got to be working in your life. But don't go out if you haven't come in. But if you've come in, realize that you came in to go out. Okay, just thought we'd throw that one at you. Number three, number three, third thing God's looking for. He's looking for a heart committed to honor. 1 Samuel 16, 21. So David came and he stood before him. He stood. That word is Saul. He, he, he said, Saul, you are now my father. Saul, I honor you. Saul, I nail myself to your heart. He knew how to honor and he nailed himself to a man of God. He nailed himself to his king and to his father. He says he stood there before him and he loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer. David knew the strength and the principle of how to commit yourself to a life of honor. Say honor. Honor. And you don't just honor up, you honor all the way around. A lot of people can honor up, but you know, you see them honor up, Pastor, bless you, just love the sermon today, so awesome. Then you go out to lunch with them, and all of a sudden they're cursing the, the waitress because she didn't do something quick enough. You know, the same honor you give up, the same honor you should give everywhere. And every person you run into is worthy of your utmost respect and your utmost love. And honor isn't just, we have a culture of honor. We honor everybody above us. Now, culture of honor is 360. We honor everybody around us. Everybody is worthy of your very best. And whoever you run into, they should get the best you ever. And you should honor them as someone created in the image of God for you to love and you to bless and you to honor. You know, some people are really good at the honor thing, but you know, it depends on who it is. They pick and choose who they honor. And they got an honor principle, but I just honor who I think's honorable. You know what? You honor everyone. You got a debt, one debt to pay everywhere, to love every single person with God's love and let it flow through you liberally and be a blessing everywhere you go. Can I get a hallelujah all right that was good pastor thank you for that first samuel 24 5 now it happened afterward that david's heart troubled him because he had cut saul's robe now what happened here was david was there in the throne saul got jealous of david and he began to grow in popularity and then he found out that he was rejected and david was going to be king so saul wanted to kill him Jonathan said, no, my dad's not going to kill you. Then he found it. Yeah, he is going to kill you. So you better get out of town. So David was on the run in the wilderness. But Saul was after him. Saul was trying to find him. He was committed to killing David. And the old fleshly system is committed to try to crush the anointed spirit. Don't like that impact, church. Those people there, they're crazy. My God. Speak in tongues, prophesy, expect signs and wonders, miracles. They believe God heals people. Well, we don't believe any of that stuff. We just believe you. You better do better at serving God, brother. Hallelujah. We got Father, Son, and Holy Book. Glory to God. But those crazy people over there, you know, the fleshly system, the system of do it yourself, the system of just try to be a better person, can't handle people who say, I can't do a thing without God. I trust in his grace and his grace alone. But that nasty religious system of do better, come to the course for the three better ways to do the ten things. You want to be a better father? Come to our little... You want to be a better father? Get whacked in the Holy Ghost. Get filled with the Holy Ghost. Get so entwined and loved and, and know that you're loved by him and free of all the entanglements in your life and let the Spirit of God flow out of you freely. 
Praise the Lord. It was a good place to say praise the Lord. All right. So anyways, David, one day, Saul is coming into a cave, and David and his men are in this cave, and they get a fresh back to the back of the cave because Saul came in to do a number two. So he came in to relieve himself, and so as he took his garments and spread them out, David snuck up, and one of David's guys says, kill him. Take him out. He's trying to kill us. Get him. This is awesome. God's put him in your hand. David said, you don't do that. But David said, what I am going to do is I'm going to cut off just because Saul around his robe had his crest. So he had his seal, Saul's robe. And he said, I'm going to cut one of the crests off his robe so you'll know that I could have taken you out, dude. I want you to know that you were this close. I could have had you. And David did that, and then Saul went out. And when Saul left the cave, David ran out after and said, my father, my father, my Lord and my God. He said, I can't believe I did this. I touched your garment. Please forgive me. How dare I even touch the garment? You're anointed to be king. I'll never take it in my own hands. I'm so sorry, even though you're chasing me to kill me. You know, if God wants to take you, that's up to God, but I won't take it in my own hands. And he's still honored as his father, someone who was trying to kill him. Pastor was mean to me. I'm out of this church. <laughs> Just thought I'd bring that home a little bit, you know. <laughs> but we get offended so quickly on all kinds of nonsense. We take things in our own hands. You know what? Yeah. Anybody ever had a bad day? Anybody ever had somebody who's an authority figure in your life say something nasty to you? You know what your responsibility is? Honor them. Because if you honor them, you honor the Lord. And the Lord will take care of you. A little pitter-patter from somebody. It's true. You know what? One thing, God, God is not as serious about judging people for sins of commission, but the sin of disrespect of authority. Study that in the Bible. That one costs people a lot. Anyways, let's not get into a heavy, eh? Because you guys are the very best because we got a culture of 360 honor and we get it. But look what he said. He said, the Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Who is the Lord's anointed here? I'll have you know, it's me. No, I won't. Look around. Look around. Look around. Every one of you, absolutely saturated and thickly anointed with God. And every one of you are anointed, precious kings and priests in the kingdom of God. And every one of us should manifest, and it should be the hallmark of the Christian community that we honor each other passionately and deliberately. It's not just me. Some, you know what? Sometimes I'm dishonorable. Sometimes I'm not the best. Sometimes I'll screw up. I've had people come and say, I came from a church where the pastor hurt me. I said, oh, well, come to this church. I'll hurt you in all new ways. <laughs> and I won't do it on purpose, but I'm sure someday I'll stand up here and say some dumb word, and you'll say, who says that? Oh, my goodness, what a terrible man. So you can go on Google and give me a two-star. It's all good, you know. <laughs> Isn't it great? <laughs> I went to that church. I rated it. Gave it a two. If that's you watching on the screen right now, we only take five-star ratings. Okay. Please go to Google. Give us five stars. All right. All right. So don't, everybody's anointed. Bless everybody. Ready? Come on. We got to go. Number four. Number four. Are you okay? Are you all right? 
All right, come on. Number four, he's looking for a heart with bold faith. I love David. He, he goes and he's with the Philistines and he's friends with them because Saul's trying to kill him. He said, I'll go hang out with the enemy for a while. And then the enemy's going to go attack Israel. And David's like, well, this is a crisis. Uh, and so he's marching with the Philistines against his own people. And then they said, you know what? We don't trust the Hebrew dude. Don't really trust him. We should send him away. And David's like, that's good. So he's going to send us back. So David takes his army. They head back to Ziklag. And when they get there, the smoke is billowing up. Everything is burned. Their kids are gone. Their wives are gone. And all their possessions are gone. So all the men that gathered to David, they all decided to stone him. So here's David. We're exhausted. We just marched, and then we marched back. And then we saw we lost everything, and they wept till they had no more strength. When you weep till you have no more strength, that's a lot of weeping. I mean, when you weep, you got no more strength. We're talking, that's a serious cry down. Anybody ever had one of those big, serious cry downs? No? Okay. Well, they did. They had no more strength. But look what happened. David's like, how dare you rise up against me? I'm the man of God. When you came to me, you were a mess. I made you what you are today. Put down your stones. No, David went, oh, God, what am I going to do? David didn't run away. He didn't fight. He turned to the Lord. You know, when you go through a hard time, going through a hard time shows you what's in you. When you, you rise up and you fight or you rise up in flight, the situation didn't determine that. It was found inside you. You know, you got bold faith when there's difficult times. You got bold faith when there's hardships. You got bold faith that you know that even in this situation or circumstance, God is for me. And God is committed to work this thing out for good. So when you go through difficult times, those difficult times don't form you. Those difficult times expose you. Oh, pastor, pastor, obstacles reveal what you truly believe. In the midst of unbelievable circumstances, only believe. Only believe. It's a hard word. Isn't it a hard word? Is it okay? Smile at your neighbor. Tell him it's a 24-point sermon. Number five, got to have a heart for redemption. We talked about Mephibosheth last week. David sought people. He went after broken, destitute people. He went to find people hiding in the dark who had no revelation of the goodness of God. He sought them out because he wanted everyone to experience redemption. And he had a heart for redemption. See, all these people that gathered to David, it says they all started coming, people in trouble, people in debt, people disconsented, and they all came to David because David had a revelation of something that they all needed. They are all broken. Life had beat the snot out of them. Life had just caused trouble trouble and grief. But when they came to David, they experienced recovery. They experienced wholeness. They experienced restoration because David had a revelation of nothing is too hard for my God. You see, that's why I want people to come here. Has anybody come from a broken, messed up life? I mean, God found me. I was perfect. I'm still perfect and always will be perfect. But some of you are messed up. Let's face it. I was so messed up, it's unbelievable. Sometimes I think about it, I don't know who that person was. I think about some of the ways I used to think, the things I did. I said, oh God, I can't believe you pulled me out of that messy heap of who I was. I can't believe you even loved me or considered me. I can't believe that you've done that, but you are a God of redemption. You are a God of recovery. You're a God of restoration. Amen, 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 amen. And you know, it doesn't stop there because it goes from better to better, gooder to gooder. And it goes from glory to glory. Overwhelming. God doesn't give you just a bit. He doesn't just set you up a little. He doesn't just recover a little bit. He slaps you with his glory every day. He loads you with benefits. Oh, my God. David had a revelation that day after day, more and more people came to David. Look what it says. These messed up people came to David until it was a great army like the army of God. 
An army of God is rising in the earth today, right now. And there's people broken, messed up, hurt, who've given up on life and can't do anything. They're on their last leg, their last lick. I mean, they're at the bottom looking up and it says bottom. But they're going to come to Impact Church. They're going to hear about people who've recovered their breath, who've recovered their life, whose lives have been messed up, broken, and defeated. And if he could do it for you, he could do it for you, and you, and you, and you, and you. Who the Son set free is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. That person beside you who's not excited, I give you the right to slap them right now. A heart for redemption. Another one, number six, a heart for rejoicing. David was a rejoicer. David wrote so many psalms were all about rejoicing. David was out in the field. His dad didn't like him. He was abandoned by his family. They didn't even think he was worth coming to the table. They threw him out in the field with the sheep. What did David do? I can't believe I was born in this family. I've been rejected and hurt. David got a harp and he went, glory to God. He's my father. He loves me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pasture. You know, life might have dealt me out this, and this might be where I am, but it's not where I'm headed because I know a God who loves me. And you know, you have given me greater joy than those who have abundant harvest and new grain and wine. I am so happy with God. God, where did I get it? He gave it to me. Where did I get this joy? He gave it to me. I'm not working this up. It's God. It's a gift of God on the inside of me. He has flooded me and filled me with more joy, more joy, more joy than somebody who just won the lottery. Somebody who just won $54 billion. I got more joy than that, and he gave it to me. That You can't give me the joy that he gave me. It's better than that. A harvest that is supernatural. A harvest that is off the chart. You gave me better joy than that. Oh, settle down, pastor. Have a drink. The water's deep. Get some. It's happening right now. Get some. When it was raining, I said, let it rain on me. Hallelujah. Psalm 511. But let all who take refuge in you say, oh, thank you for letting me get a shelter. No. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let all who take refuge in you sing joyful praises forever. Forever. <laughs> Spread your protection over them that all who love your name may be filled with joy. <laughs> ha ha! Ha ha! Ha ha! I don't get the joke. Just ha ha, anyways. Filled me with more joy. Hallelujah. Number seven. This is it. Number seven. There's only seven points. But this one's got about 45 sub points. <laughs> Tucked them all in here. And this is good. Listen, what we're going to do right now. Listen. Number seven is the heart for transformation. That David screwed up a lot. First of all, he wasn't a good dad. He wasn't a good dad. Had some problems at home. And then, because of his problems at home, he, he stayed home one day. Instead of going out to battle, he started looking over the fence, and he saw a naked woman having a bath, and he said, I want her. 
and he took another man's wife, and then she got pregnant, and he didn't want everybody to find out what happened, so he decided to bring him home and go see your wife. And they were out at battle. They were out at battle. David should have been at battle, but he wasn't. Because you know what? You know why you go in? To go out. But you know, then it happened. When did it happen? It happened when David forgot to go out. You know, you just get that coming in thing and you just relax and you stop realizing and doing the purpose of God on your life. This is deadly serious right here. There's a lot of people, you've given up on the purpose of God in your life. You're not doing a lick for God. You don't even think about it. You're just going through your life. I mean, you're barely coming in. You show up a little bit here and there, and I'm talking to people from other churches, not you people. <laughs> you know, sometimes the coming in and going out gets a little slippery in your life. That's when things start to get messy, because then, it says, then it happened. Then it happened. Then he brings home the guy's, the girl's husband and says, hey, go sleep with your wife. He says, we're out at battle right now, David. I'm going to sleep on the steps. I'm going to sleep on the steps of, of, your, of your palace. And I would not, while my men are fighting in the field, I will not go home, and I will not experience the pleasures of home while my men are in the field. And David said, crap, he's a good guy. He said, okay. So he says, here's a note. Take this to the commander. And he says, put him right in the front. And then when he's right in the front and the battle gets hot, pull everybody back. He gave him a note. He said, murder this man. David had adultery with his wife, took his wife, took his life. David broke all the rules that there's no sacrifice for. The only sacrifice for those things was your life. David broke all of those rules. And yet in that place, David cried out, God have mercy on me. This was a man after God's own heart. This was a man that if he was in this church, we would pull him aside and say, you filthy dog. Well, anybody here murdered anybody? Not lately. Well, here's what Jesus did. He took it to another level. He said, has anyone here ever hated anyone? Because we could sit there in our own piety and say, wow, I'm better than David. I still got my first wife and haven't killed anybody. I'm pretty awesome. So the Lord said, have you looked at a woman? What do you mean look? What do you mean by that? You know, looked with an idea that you'd like to have that? Uh, what does look mean? <laughs> Can we negotiate? Jesus didn't do that because he wanted to give you a higher standard to live by. Jesus wanted to raise the standard so high that every one of you were guilty. Anybody ever really had nasty thoughts about somebody? I'd like them to experience pain. Then instead of forgiveness, you want retribution? That's murder. You know, what Jesus was trying to do is get every one of us to say, Lord God, I need mercy just like David did. There's no, there's no sacrifice for this. All I can do is say, help. And that's what David did. So I said all of that. We'll look at some verses. Are you ready? So it gets complicated. Right, Proverbs 20, verse 9, who can say I've cleansed my heart? I'm pure from sin. Nobody. That's the answer to that. You ready? You can't do it yourself. But if you keep coming week after week, I'll keep giving you some principles to live by. Psalm 51.7, here it is, you ready? And 51.7, this is a psalm that David wrote after Nathan came and confronted him because God showed him what was going on. And David tried to cover it up. But David said, while I tried to cover it up, my bones inside me were rotten. If you try to cover your sin and pretend you're okay, and that, you know, I'm just going to pretend I'm all right, you're going to die on the inside. You know what you do? You open up your coat and say, God, what a mess. He says, it is. You're cleansed. What can wash away your sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
Purify me. Purify me from my sins. That's what David said. David said, I've blown it. I have totally screwed up. There's no sacrifice for this. I got to throw myself on your mercy. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. David had a belief in the mercy of God and the nature of God and the grace of God. David said, he's a God who delights in showing mercy. His mercy triumphs over judgment. David had that kind of revel. Who's God looking for? He's looking for people like that. Not people that are punitive. People want to get a pound of flesh. God's looking for people who want to give mercy. When they get hurt, they want to pour out grace. When, they get, when something happens to them that they don't like, they respond in beauty and in love and in grace. I wish I was that person. Give me another slide. I better do it myself here. 2 Samuel 11, 1 to 5. It happened. Here it is. You see, it happened. In the spring when they go out to battle, David didn't go. It says, and then it happened. From the roof, he saw that woman, and David went and he laid with her. 2 Samuel 15, 31. When someone told David that his advisor Ahithophel was now backing Absalom, David prayed, oh, let Ahithophel give Absalom foolish advice. Well, that was a weird corner, Pastor. How'd we get over there? Well, we got over there because Ahithophel was David's closest advisor. But Ahithophel left David's throne, left his kingdom, stopped advising him because he got offended. What did he get offended at? Bathsheba was Ahithophel's granddaughter. And when Ahithophel found out David did this to my granddaughter, to my son's daughter, he said, I can't do this anymore. And he left. And it says, and Ahithophel went home. Now, when Absalom decided that I'm going to take over my father's throne, Ahithophel went, hey, need some help? When you've got a broken heart and a broken wound, you're always ready to line up with somebody else who's wounded. Wounded people find wounded people. Vengeful people find vengeful people. People who need retribution find other people looking for retribution. It's really stupid to get offended. It's really stupid to get offended for somebody else. Are you upset? Oh, I'll be upset with you. Are you mad at somebody? Let me join in on that. Are you upset? Oh, hey, I love upset parties. Let's grumble together. Let's grumble together, but at the end, let's pray. But let's grumble first. Hey, now this doesn't happen here. Amen. Okay. It doesn't happen here. <laughs> I'm serious about that. Okay. Ahithophel had to, very, very offended. Now, what, what's all this about? Let's, let's go on. Now, David failed his children. Ammon raped Tamar, and what did David do about that? Nothing. Absalom was frustrated because Tamar was Absalom's sister, and because the father did nothing, Absalom killed Amnon. What did David do with Absalom when he killed Amnon? Nothing. Adonijah then later on found out dad's going to die and we don't know who's going to take the throne. You know what? I'm going to take the throne. So Adonijah tried to take his throne. And what did, what did David say to Adonijah when he wanted to behave like that? Absolutely nothing. Absalom wanted to take his throne. This guy was offended because of Bathsheba. These people all joined together. How did this all come about? Because David wasn't taking care of his own business. Got really serious in here. Huh? Look, look, First Kings 1 Kings 1.6. Now his father, King David, had never disciplined him at any time, even by asking him. He didn't even ask him, why are you doing that? He didn't even say that. 
didn't even say that. 2 Samuel 17, 23. When Ahithophel realized that advice had not been taken or followed, he saddled his donkey, went home, settled his affairs, and he hanged himself. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. He died there, he was buried with his family. Now, a lot of verses getting thrown at you. I'm going to try and tie them all together. Ahithophel was giving advice to Absalom because he wanted David taken out. But David was so smart, David left one of his advisors in the palace and told him, advise my son because Ahithophel's really smart. And I found out that Ahithophel's aligned himself with Absalom and he's a wise guy and he hates me right now. He said, but mess up his advice. So this guy messed up Ahithophel's advice. And because he did that, Ahithophel realized this guy's not going to listen to me. And Ahithophel had been betrayed by David, his closest friend. But he never let the betrayal come to a place of resolution. And he never got healed of the betrayal. And if you don't get healed of your betrayal, and if you don't deal with the unforgiveness in your life, you're going to become bitter everywhere you can. You're going to become retributive. You're going to try to cause pain everywhere you go. And in the end, it won't give you any peace. And what happened to Ahithophel was he killed himself. Isn't this a great sermon? Betrayal. Say betrayal. Psalm 55. David wrote this psalm because David and Ahithophel were very close friends. David screwed up that relationship. It never got worked out. It never got resolved. But David felt betrayed by Ahithophel because he said, man, I can't believe it. We were really close friends. I mean, sure, I slept with your granddaughter. Big deal. But, you know, they never resolved the issue. And Ahithophel, because he never did, he ended up dying. But David, he wrote this, Psalm 55. You should read the whole psalm. He said, listen, it's, it's not somebody cut me off at Tim Hortons. I couldn't care less if somebody cut me off at Tim Hortons. I'm not going to have a bad day for that. Right? Came to church and somebody sat in my chair. So what? It really does tick me off because they know I got that chair every week. But you know, no, no big deal. All right. But look, it says, if it were an enemy who taunts me, I could bear it. If it were one of my foes who were so arrogantly insult me, I could have hidden this from them. Instead, it's you. It's my equal. It's my companion. It's my close friend. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together in the house of God. Now, this is David writing a psalm about Ahithophel. Go to 2 Samuel 15, 30. It says, so David walked up the road of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered. His feet were bare as a sign of his mourning. What was this about? He did this when someone told him Ahithophel is now advising Solomon. And when David found out, he was walking up the Mount of Olives. So he said, David, Ahithophel. Yeah, Ahithophel, what's going on with him? He's lined up with your son. He's lined up with your son to take you out and to take your kingdom. And David went, oh, my goodness. I remember Ahithophel. We had such close relations. We used to go on family vacations together. We did everything together. We would go into the house of God. We would worship. We would, we would sing. We would dance. We would share intimate things about ourselves, talk about things the Lord was doing in our lives. And, and you know, I blew it and screwed up. We never recovered that. He left. And the relationship broke down. And, and David, when he heard about this, he wept. And he wept, and he did it at the Mount of Olives. Say Mount of Olives. What is there at the Mount of Olives? Right there at the Mount of Olives is another place called Gethsemane. And Gethsemane is the olive press. David was at the same place where Jesus prayed sweat drops of blood when his own people were rejecting him. David was pouring out in this psalm what it felt like to be rejected, what it felt like to have pain. And you know what? Don't pour it out all around you like I do. Pour it to the Lord. Take it to him. Cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord. What's God looking for? This is what he's looking for. He's looking for somebody who wants transformation. 
1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. the end, it says, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. On the night he was betrayed, he looked forward to the redemption of mankind. On the night he was betrayed, he sat there with his betrayer. He sat there with the betrayer. He washed his feet, ministered with him for more almost three years. And with him, sat right, Judas sat right beside him at the table in the seating. It was John on this side, Judas on this side. He fed him the man who would betray him. And on the night he was betrayed, he broke a covenant meal. And he said, this is, I'm going to make all things new. How, are you guys okay? Luke twenty two forty eight. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray me, the son of man? I mean, with a kiss? And this is so amazing because what he's saying is, he's saying, Judas, dude. See, because Judas knew where Jesus would be. He went and he betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. And he knew where he would be because he knew that Jesus always prays early and he always goes to this place, common principles, uh, an ordered, structured life. Jesus, you know, I know where he's going to be. Follow me. We're going to go to Gethsemane because he'll be there because he'll be in the place of prayer. And he went there to Gethsemane, and when he came up to him, he said, the guy that I kissed, that's Jesus. And Jesus really straight up said this, unbelievable. I mean, I knew this was going to go down, but with a kiss, Judas, I mean, that is so stinking over the top. With a kiss, unbelievable. And I see in that, and that's the language that's used there. He literally is like, I can't, I mean, I knew this was going to happen, but a kiss, that's how you chose to do it. Ugh. I see in that the emotion of God, even the sense of feeling the betrayal, feeling that whole thing and the depth of it. He's went, oh, man. Even in his humanity, he's like, man, this is painful stuff. Could it get a little quieter in here, please? <laughs> Isaiah 53, 3, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. But what did Jesus do? He got on that cross. And there, in a place of unbelievable pain, he was thinking about you. And you know what he said? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. David had a heart for transformation. Jesus came for transformation. And he's looking for people that will be like him. He's looking for people that in the face of trials, difficulties, betrayal, you're going to manifest the grace and the goodness of God. Betrayal is intimate. You don't feel betrayed from the person who cut you off in the parking lot. Betrayal comes from intimate places, very close relationships. Your wife leaves, your husband leaves. Unfaithfulness in a home. A father, a mother who abuses and mistreats. Situations where you hope things would work better and yet you feel and you are caring, you're walking and you're nursing a business partner. Cheated you, walked out on you, screwed up your whole life. You had hopes and dreams together. You built things together. You dreamed about things. There's so many things. People that you gave life for, you partnered in things and you were closely intimate. Walking in the house of God together and they turned on you. Man, I hope God gets them. No, you don't. You pray God would forgive. And you pray God would bless. And you pray God would never, ever hold that against them. You pray that nothing bad would ever happen in their life. You'd rather endure it yourself. David cried out, Absalom, Absalom, my son. If only I had died instead of you. David had that kind of heart. Did he screw up? Did he do some really stupid stuff? Yeah, but he understood the mercy of God. And he didn't just understand that he needed it. He understood that everybody needs it. 
Everybody needs it. So what do you do? First thing is you got to reframe the question and you got to depersonalize it. It is personal. It's deeply personal. I mean, betrayal is intimate. It's so intimate. But you got to depersonalize this thing and you got to stop saying, why is this happening to me? There's no good reason for it. I got no good reason for why this is going on. I can't give you a good reason at all. There isn't. It's just stinking wrong. But you got to change the question. You got to change the question. First of all, you can't change the question until you totally, fully forgive and let it go. But then change the question that, Lord, what can I learn about you? And in reflecting on all of this, what am I seeing in me? What do I need to deal with? You know what? I can't control a single person or a single thing that goes on. The only thing I can control and have responsibility for is me. And what am I going to do right now? I'm going to drink deeply of your love and your grace in my life. I'm going to drink deeply of the fact that the truth is I need mercy too. And that same mercy that I freely receive, I want to freely give. And I want to bestow that everywhere I can. Father, what can I learn about myself? What can I learn about you and how can I grow? And how can we use this? Because you work all things together for good. Hey. 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 Nice and quiet. It's a good time for a little nap. <laughs> Proverbs 4, 3 and 5. For I too was once my father's son, tenderly loved as my mother's only child. My father taught me. Take my words to heart. My father taught me. Take my words to heart. Follow my commands and you will live. Get wisdom. Develop good judgment. Don't forget my words or turn away from them. Listen, this is Solomon now. David's blew it with the family, but David repented. He, he changed his heart. He, he changed his view of things. And now with Solomon, he said, Solomon says, Solomon learned at his knee. Some people think Solomon learned at his knee. No, that's not the one. Solomon learned at the knee of his father. His father taught him the ways of God. And he said, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop being a loser at home. And I'm going to be who I should be at home. And this family, I'm going to raise it right. I'm going to do it right. And he said, take my words to heart. Don't forget my words. Don't turn away from them. My father, Solomon said, my father taught me. My father taught me. Psalm 101, verse 2, I'm finding my way down the road of right living. But how long before you show up? I'm doing the very best I can, and I'm doing it now. I'm doing it at home where it counts. Don't be special out there in the world. Don't be special to everybody else and not be special at home. Don't be trying to be special at work, special with everybody else. Hey, everybody, I'm pretty awesome. Uh, then you come home and you're a dog. David was a king. He was really good at coming and going out. All the people loved David. David was a warrior, a worshiper, all those things. But he came home and he didn't deal with things very well at all. But then David realized, you know what? I got to stop this. I'm making my way down the right living. I'm going down the path properly. And you know where I'm really doing it? I'm doing it at home where it counts. Doing homework, yes. Second Samuel 7, 16. You ready? We're coming to a rapid conclusion. Are you guys okay? All the cheering. Where's all the cheering today? What's going on? Uh, man, I'm trying really hard up here, you know? Did you know I had, to, I had to prepare this sermon before I shared it with you? Do you know how deeply it cut me? Really deep. Really deep. I'm not just spilling words out to you, those words. It's got no handle on this. You don't handle the word of God. The word of God. Sharper than a two-edged sword. Second Samuel seven sixteen. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. That was the word of the Lord over David. An adulterer, a murderer, a loser as a father, a total mess up as a person. 
This is the end of the story for David. Your throne will endure forever, and I will keep it secure. Ha ha. Any screw-ups here today? That's the word of the Lord for you. God's committed to a wonderful, beautiful, thriving conclusion for your life. And the one who began a good work, he's going to continue to work it out, and he's going to bring it to a glorious conclusion. I think I got one more slide, and I got to let you go. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. I wondered where the pitter Pacture section went there. Mark 10, 47, look at this. Look at this. Here we are in the New Covenant. You ready? When Bartimaeus heard Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. That guy who totally messed up in so many amazing ways, yet he is the greatest title of the Messianic kingdom, Son of David. Son of mercy, son of a revelation of grace, son of transformation, son of redemption, son of rejoicing, son of joy. Come on, stand up with me. This is a pretty serious moment, all right? It's serious for me. It might be serious for you too. But listen, I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes and I just want to ask you right now, listen. I don't know everybody here. Maybe you're here and, you know, you came into a place. What you came into today is you came into a place where the Lord can touch your life. You came into a place where no matter where you've been, if you've been in debt, discouraged, frustrated, broken, messed up, when the Lord's ready to touch your life today, you know, you could come home. You can come home. And he's ready to restore and to bless and to keep you. And I want you to know that. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never accepted him and reconciled, you weren't able to sing real bold, I am a child of God, yes I am. I want you to sing that on your way out. I want you to know him as your Lord and Savior. So listen to me, I'm gonna count to three, I'm gonna one, two, three, and if that's you, I want you to put your hand up really high because I wanna pray for you. You wanna accept his love for you. I wanna pray for you, are you ready? And put your hand up really high so I can see you, ready? One, two, three, just put your hand up very, very high very high so we can see it. Anyone? Anyone? Anyone at all? Thank you. Anyone else? Look, we're all going to pray, so I want you to lift up your voice and pray, okay? But we're all going to pray with you, and they're all going to pray and repeat after me. So you repeat after me. Ready? Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you that you forgive me. You dealt with my sin once and for all. I announce that you're my savior. I accept you in my life. Thank you for forgiving me, for healing me, and for setting me free. Holy Spirit, come on the inside of me. Fill me, flood me, testify with my spirit that I'm a child of God. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes one more time. Now, as I'm talking and as I'm saying those things, something got touched in your spirit. And there's something that's, there's an open wound. There's something still there. There's things that you've got unresolved, things that are still alive in your heart and in your life. Because you know what? You've got to let go. Maybe it's even you got to forgive yourself. Maybe you see yourself in these areas where you failed in areas or, or you wish you could have a do-over. And you, you know, David got a do-over with Solomon. He got a do-over. And you wish you could turn this thing around. 
I want to pray for you because I believe there's something significant in the room for you to change the nature of your struggle, to change the whole picture for you. There's an impartation from God today that's going to change the whole nature of this whole thing. God, if you say that's unbelievable, trust me, believe God. He can do the unbelievable. And so if that's you, there's nobody looking around. It's just you. If that's you and you say, Pastor, I need to deal with abandonment. I need to deal with betrayal. I need to deal with this hurt that just won't seem to go away. If that's you, would you put your hand up and say, Pastor, pray for me today. Pray for me today. All right, you can put your hands down. I'm going to pray for you, but I want you to receive it. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us so much. Lord, I mean, there's not one of us hasn't experienced hurt. There's not one of us here that hasn't knowingly or unknowingly created and caused a bit of hurt. Father, thank you that you're a gracious God. Thank you that David, he knew one thing about you, that God, you're a God of grace. You're a God of tender mercy and compassion. And so, Lord, we come to you. And, Lord, first of all, we want to forgive ourselves for areas where we've failed, where we've not responded to situations like we could. Maybe like Ahithophel, we, we left and we let the offense shape our whole life and we joined in on pain and we joined in on hurt. God, heal us of that right now. Forgive us for that right now. But Father, for, for people who felt betrayal, for me when I felt betrayal intimately impacted by things, God, first of all, we want to say we forgive. We just release we bless in the name of Jesus. Lord, we're going to drop the why, 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 why. We're going to drop that all together. And we're going to say, Father, forgive. And now, Father, show me you. I cry to you. Meet all my needs. Pour into me right now. Heal me right now of my brokenness. And Father, help me to learn about myself and to learn more about you. Come and touch my life in a big, big way. Thank you that your hand, full of oil, lubricates my broken heart and brings absolute healing right now. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, can I get the ministry team up and want you folks to come up here. People may need prayer today. If you need prayer, please stay and pray. I'm going to bless you and let you go. We got folks got to get to a nursing home right away, ministering at nursing home today. So we're going to release those folks to go. But bless you guys. Amen. Are you okay? All right, was that okay? You're not, I'm not leaving you messed up and wounded and hurt, eh? I want you to leave better than you came. Is that going to happen? Okay, come on now. Throw me a bone. I mean, my God. All right. Well, Father, bless this house. I love every one of these folks so dearly. Thank you for your word. Thank you for David. Thank you for the honesty in your word. Thank you for things that we can see ourselves, but we can see your goodness and your grace. So, Father, I bless these folks right now. Let the love of the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the sweet, intimate fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with each and every one. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Bless you. Enjoy a sunny blue sky. In Jesus' name, the altars are open. Come on. Get some prayer.